So we just got done recording a very special guest, General Hammer Hartzell. Uh, very interesting individual, very prevalent career. Um, you're going to hear a lot of really good information that was relevant back whenever he was a young Marine back in the 1980s and 1990s and how it is still applicable to what we do today. Yeah, what struck me is, you know, he he was he's he's been shooting a long time. Um, he had a very successful career, but the open mindedness with which he approaches the shooting sports, uh, mentioning that action shooting has a lot of applicability to combat. But and near the end of it, we spent, I would say, around half the conversation talking about what he's doing now to help veterans in the state of Florida. And he's very passionate about that. We talk about why that's important and I don't think it's talked about nearly enough. Um, so a lot of great conversations were had. Uh, glad we got a chance to pick his brain. And I think this was a fantastic episode. So let us know what you think, and we can't wait for you to hear it. Yep. Give me a nod when you're ready. Shooter's ready. Stand by. and welcome to the 3GIQ podcast. I'm joined here today with my co-host Frank Gao and we have a very special guest for you today. We have General Hammer Hartzell. Major General Hartzell began, began his Marine Corps career in 1981 as an enlisted Marine and served with Third Force Reconnaissance Company, Mobile, Alabama. Upon graduation from University of South Alabama, he was commissioned a second lieutenant in 1983. In 1989, he was assigned as the OIC of the Paris Island shooting team, and in 1990, joined the Marine Corps pistol team in Quantico, Virginia, and earned his Distinguished Pistol Badge. In 1994, he transitioned to the Marine Corps Reserve and joined 3rd Battalion, 23rd Marines, where he served as Rifle Company Commander, and then from 1998 to 2000, served as the battalion's S3 Alpha, and then operations officer. In 2001, he was assigned as a commanding officer of 4th Reconnaissance Battalion in San Antonio, Texas. During this tour, he was activated from March through August 2003 in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom 1, taking on the additional role of battalion inspector instructor. In 2004, he was mobilized in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom 2, and deployed with 1st Marine Division as a Division Senior Liaison Officer to 1st Marine Expeditionary Force in Al-Anbar, Iraq. From 2005 to 2007, he served as a member and then officer in charge of the 4th Marine Division Forward West in Camp Pendleton, California. From 2008 to 2010, he was assigned as the 2MEF 
Commanding Element IMA Chief of Staff in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. And during this tour, he was mobilized in support of Operation Enduring Freedom and deployed to Afghanistan as the 2nd Marine Expeditionary Brigade Senior Liaison Officer to NATO Regional Command South. Upon promotion to Brigadier General in 2010, he was assigned as the Deputy Commanding General, 1st Marine Expeditionary Force Mobilization. He then served as Commanding General of 4th Marine Division from 2012 to 2014. From 2014 to 2018, he was assigned as a Senior Joint Flag Officer in the U.S. Pacific Command, where he served as the Mobilization Assistant to the Commander as J-5 Strategic Planning and Policy Director, as Chief of Staff, and also as the Director of Asia-Pacific Center for Security Studies. In 2018, he retired after 37 years of faithful service to the Marine Corps and our nation. His awards include the Defense Superior Service Medal, Legion of Merit, Bronze Star, Meritorious Service Medal, Navy and Marine Corps Commendation Medal with Gold Star, Army Commendation Medal, Combat Action Ribbon with Gold Star, and the Distinguished Pistol Badge. Major General Hartzell's 22-year civilian career in the healthcare industry included serving in marketing, product management, U.S. and global business development, hospital administration, and healthcare leadership. Upon retirement from the Corps, he moved back to his home state of Florida and joined the Pasco Sheriff's Office, where he stood up the Future Operations Division. In April 2009, he accepted the position of Deputy Executive Director of the Florida Department of Veteran Affairs and assumed duties as Executive Director in June 2020. So, Hammer. (laughs) Thank you, first and foremost, foremost for agreeing to come upon here. Um, I think everybody from Marine Corps members who listen to this to the to the civilian population are going to get a lot of really good information out of this but before we start into the questions can you give us a little bit more history about yourself sure sure yeah it's, it's not it's not easy to condense 37 years of life into into a short sentence but i'm gonna do my best uh born and raised in florida uh central florida then grew up in south florida and enlisted in the marine corps out of pensacola florida when i was in college uh, 1981, went to Paris Island, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, uh, things I learned about marksmanship there. Uh, did two years in a reconnaissance unit, reserve reconnaissance, force reconnaissance unit. My, all my staff and COs were Vietnam era veterans, recon, force recon Marines. So they, they trained us diligently, hard. They did because they had been in war. So I learned a lot as a young enlisted Marine about that. Got uh, commissioned in 83, 1983. Uh, went out to Hawaii to 2nd Battalion, 3rd Marines for my first as, a, as an infantry platoon commander. Uh, did Westpac deployments there and UDP deployments. Went from there to uh, back to Paris Island, actually, as a series commander. So it was kind of cool having been a recruit and then about five or six years later going back as a, well, six years later going back as a lieutenant. Uh, I, I like that because the two, the, the three years that I was there, out of all my series, I was a series commander for, and then I was a Bravo first battalion uh, company commander. None of my drill instructors ever got relieved, not one. And I was nice. the only officer that rolled that way because I was there in the morning. I watched them. I knew, and I kept them training hard, training right, 
and staying out of trouble. And I really was proud of that because they were their careers were aligned and we were making Marines. Rolled out of there to AWS, Amphibious Warfare School. That was 1990. Uh, I thought my career was over because I missed Desert Storm. And I have a little bit more to talk about that later. But the Commandant Al Gray came down and told us to knock it off, knuckleheads, quit calling our congressmen, volunteering to go become <laughs> replacements because our, our uh, Marine Corps needed to have its uh, career education people as well. So we listened to what the Commandant said. Uh, and I survived all right, you can tell. Uh, after that, I went uh, to 1st Battalion, 6 Marines as a boat com uh, uh, company commander, rifle company commander. We were MUSOX, 22nd MU. I had the boat company, which was fun. i just be honest. It was fun and fascinating. Went all over the uh, Mediterranean uh, and did a lot of great work there. Transitioned from there in 2000 or 1993 to SOTG, Special Operations Training Group. And I was in the Amphib Rage Branch, so the Scout Swimmers, Assault Climbers, and then actually got into Close Combat Battle, Close Quarters Battle, uh, was certified there. And I was on a Joint Task Force mission team out of SOTG. Uh, we were third tier, let's call it, and we were ready to be called upon for hostage rescue and other kind of special missions. Uh, and I was a captain at the time. Uh, at that time, it was 1993 going into 94, uh, I had a son with muscular dystrophy. I was in the exceptional family member program, and I got off of active duty uh, because of that and got into the reserves. I just needed to be with the family and take care of his needs and not be deployed as much. I jumped into the reserves, 1994, as you said, with the 3rd Battalion, 23rd Marines out of the Southeast. Loved it. Had a great time. Uh, there was the OPSO. Uh, and then uh, one weekend a month two weeks a year, and then 9-11 happened. I assumed command of 4th Recon Battalion as a battalion commander three weeks before 9-11. Oh, wow. And for the next two years of battalion command, mobilized all five of my recon battalions in support of 2nd Force, 1st and 2nd Recon Battalions, sent all my Marines to war, uh, and, and was on orders the whole time. We also sent teams over to Southeast Asia to help our partners there hunt Al-Qaeda and extremists and different people. A lot of people had no idea what we were doing. So it was a very fascinating time. Uh, I then rolled into um, to be the senior liaison. I finished battalion command and they were looking for post battalion command to go in to be senior liaisons with 1st Marine Division that was rolling back into Iraq early 2004. So I went to work for a two star named Jim Mattis. He was a division commander. His deputy one star was a guy named John Kelly. And the colonel chief of staff was a guy named Joe Dunford. Oh, wow. Uh, all later became four stars and did very well. So that was our command deck team. So now you know why I made General Officer. They wrote my fit reps. <laughs> and I did get in trouble and I did the right things. Uh, and I have some things to say later about my shooting teaching skills for the Marines that I was always going to war with and how I carried that forward from my time on the teams. Uh, rolled out of that and I was uh, going to, came back home. I was going to retire. Uh, I was Lieutenant Colonel and I was selected from below zone for 06 for Colonel. I did not plan or anticipate that, but they deep selected me. So I said, okay, I can't quit now. You know, I've been deep selected. I'm going to stay in for another three years. And I did. And that's when they mobilized me to go to Afghanistan. When we surged Marine Corps forces in early 2009, I went into Marja, you know, did gunfights and, and all that in the Helmand province, I worked there as a Colonel was going to retire, came back home. And that's when the commandant called me and told me I've been selected for one star. Uh, and then you told people what I did as a, a general. 
So that, that's 37 years, about four minutes. Um, and absolutely love it. That's my military background. I'm currently, when I retired in 2018, I came back home to my home state of Florida. And I just wanted to kind of take a knee, you know, and, and, and relax. And that's when my neighbor, who was a sheriff, a county sheriff in the Florida, hired me to stand up the future operations division. So how do we, how do we have criminals react to law enforcement instead of law enforcement just reacting to a call out to a crime, to get ahead of the crime? Mm -hmm. intelligence, you use intelligence, uh, battlefield prep, that kind of thing. So all the same things we all learned in the military, we put into law enforcement and it worked very well. Uh, and that when I was doing well there for less than a year, that's when the governor of Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis, who I work for now, found out that he had a Marine two-star who was retired, Florida native, had healthcare background, but also uh, was working with law enforcement and he asked me to come on board to help with Veterans Affairs. And that's why I'm the director, uh, executive director, or secretary of Veteran Affairs for the state of Florida. Absolutely love it. We have 1.5 million veterans and their families. And I get to go around our great state from, I say, from Key West to Pensacola and take care of our veterans. I'm taking care of us, those that we serve together now. And it's truly a privilege for me to do so. Um, yeah, so, and, and I think you may, you may ask about the name Hammer. You know, a lot of people say, so how, especially in healthcare, how'd you get the name Hammer? Because they think that's a bad thing. Uh, when I was shooting on the Marine Corps pistol team in the summer of 90, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but how I got there, but I was shooting on the team and, you know, you're, you're shooting six days a week, thousand rounds a day. And I only know it was a thousand rounds a day because I picked up a thousand rounds of brass <laughs> every day. Uh, and I was very good with the 45. I was very good. I needed help on the 22, but as a three gun, but I did really good with the 45 for whatever reason, hardball. Uh, and uh, we were shooting one day and a bunch of colonels. And I think a one or a couple one stars came out to observe. We were the dog and pony show. They came out to the range and we were shooting. I was on the line shooting uh, with all the other team shooters. And uh, some the colonels said, hey, who's that down on the end of the line? Because you're, you're a captain. I was the senior guy on the team at that time. So I was on the right hand side of the line. Who's that down on the end of the line that's hammering the target? That's what they wanted to know. And they said, oh, that's that new captain. I don't, we don't know. Well, what's his name? I'm sorry, it's the captain. I don't know. You know so they said, hey, Captain Hammer, come here. And I'm not kidding. I was called Captain Hammer. They came up, I ran up, and it was a couple of very famous colonels that later became general officers, told them what I'm doing, how I got there. They just wanted to brief. I gave them the brief, you know. So then I'm going back over to the line, and the rest of the team, of course, now starts, oh, Captain Hammer, Captain Hammer, you got a nickname now, you're special, you're the boot on the, on the team, you know, sir. Yeah, so anyway, uh, that's where I got the call sign, it stuck with me, because a couple of those colonels later became my new commander and my battalion commander when I went to the fleet after that, and they knew me as Hammer, and it just stuck with me, yeah, so that's how I got the call sign. Yeah. Amazing, no, that's, that, that's an amazing career. Uh, amazing experiences and in a great way for a new nickname. <laughs> hey, there's a lot worse to be called, especially if you're a pilot. You don't want to be called Sweet Pea or Gumby, you know, or something like that. Yeah, Hammer, Hammer did pretty good for a run. Yeah, they loved it. Yeah. Some of those pilot nicknames definitely need a little. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> too. I mean, it's just like, why do they call you that? I mean, it's just a very lackluster story. Yours is a good story. Yeah, it's a good story. Yep, I, I, I hung with it. And when I was MUSOC, you know, um, uh, special operations capable for security reasons and communications, all you didn't want to say, hey, this is the, the company commander of Bravo company. We use call signs. So mm -hmm. the battalion commander said, hey, what's your call sign? Hey, aren't you Hammer? That, literally. So I became Hammer 6 for my company. It, it really it worked out well. So anyway, yeah, that's how it happened.
Oh, so um, obviously marksmanship was very important to you as a Marine. Uh, you talked a little bit about teaching other Marines um, through teaching, through other things. How did you promote marksmanship among the Marines that weren't yeah. in your command or that you served them? Sure. Let, let me roll you up to how I got to that point. Just if you give me a second. So when I was a kid, my grandfather taught me to shoot with a BB gun in Tennessee. I learned sight alignment, trigger squeeze from my grandfather, who was the World War II era veteran, you know, at that time frame. Uh, he took me out with a BB gun. Once I got proficient with that, he took me out with his Rockhold M1 carbine, and we were shooting groundhogs in the cow pastures. And I learned clear front sight tip. I'm not kidding. You know, back in the day, my dad was a Marine in the 50s, and my dad was the, the platoon high shooter in 1955 in his Paris Island. So I remember as a kid growing up him talking about that. So I went to Paris Island as a recruit in 1981. I wanted to shoot well. You know, I mean, I said, I've got it. I want to do this. So uh, I actually shot. And I'll tell you the story later about who, who I really respect and who really had an input on me as, as a shooter because it happened at Paris Island. Fast forward to, to qualification week. Um, started out um, the first day, um, the second day. Coach talked to me, and I'll talk about that later. Ended up going a sharpshooter on Wednesday, uh, expert on Thursday, and I was a series high shooter on qual day. Wow. Um, and there's a reason why. It was because of the coach. I'll talk about that a little bit later. And I learned about coaching there. So I uh, did that, um, went out to Kaneohe, uh, and was shooting in the, in the crater range where the, literally the wind swirls. Because I learned to shoot well, um, I set the range record out there with the old M1, or the, the not the M1, the M16A1. M16A1, you literally, you couldn't turn a little knob. You literally mm -hmm. had to get a, a nail or a, a tip to, to change the elevation and the windage. So a lot of bloody fingers back in the day, and people just winged it. But I did well there, shot the range record there, uh, went on as a captain uh, at Paris Island, went back to Paris Island, and big shooting uh, sport there in, in, in uh, advocacy at Paris Island. Uh, I did well for our division team, our battalion team, and then I was the intramural champion, 1989 rifle and pistol combined at the intramurals. Uh, and, and that's where the CG at the time of Paris Island said, hey, Captain, I want you to head up my uh, Paris Island team to go to Eastern Division matches. That's how I got into shooting competitively in that sense. Went on, I went to Eastern Division match 1990. I did very well with the pistol. Uh, and I was the high tyro shooter and I won an M1 Garand as the high tyro shooter. I always thought that was so ironic as the high pistol shooter, they gave me an M1 Garand, which I loved it. <laughs> it was <laughs> awesome. Um, went on from there and used the skills, uh, went back to AWS. It was in during AWS, as I said, Desert Storm was going on and we all thought we we're going to be combat replacements. So me and another captain who had shooting experience got come off the pistol team, summer team. We got all of those captains and majors together and we took them on a combat pistol course at weapons training battalion. We told them how to shoot a pistol instead of just qualifying, um, you know, and transition, magazine reload, all those kind of things that we learned uh, because of my team's experience, we were able to do that. Rolled in, I did that with my rifle company, the boat company. So for all my cruise submarines that had pistols as their TO weapon, I took them through a combat pistol course. Again, to make them feel comfortable and proficient with their, their, their weapon of choice. Uh, Love doing those kind of things. And reputation kind of got around. So other people started sending people over to my combat pistol course, which was really cool. During that time, I was uh, asked to be uh, the uh, six Marine Regimental uh, team captain because I've been a shooter. And I did. I put together a team for the division match. 
And that's when I went distinguished. I shot out, went out uh, that 1992. Um, that then when I rolled in SOTG, Special Operations Training Group, because of my shooting skills, uh, I was brought on as a close quarters battle into the JTF mission. So I used how room clearing, house clearing, three gun transitions, all that stuff helped me a lot later in Fallujah, I'll be honest. So uh, rolled in, got into the reserves, did the same thing in the reserves, which you don't have a lot of time as a reservist shooting. So when we could get to the range, I put a lot of time into action shooting, both rifle and pistol for my reserve. Because again, there got to be a lot of time. You're going to mobilize us, send us to war. You have to be able to shoot. So uh, did that, and it had a reputation of doing that across the reserves as well. I then went, uh, did my recon battalion Marines, because all of them, you have to be ready to shoot with a pistol and a rifle. Did that as they were going to war in OIF. And then OIF-2, when I was a lieutenant colonel, um, because of my CQB shooting time and my role as the senior Marine liaison between General Mattis and General Conway, the MEF commander, General Conway would take me in a gunny the only two people we were is PSD, personal security detail. So I got to travel with three-star, 10 General Conway, all over Iraq, wherever we went. And I literally was doing all of the CQB, PI, observation, everything else. Um, so these things stuck with me. Uh, some, I just got room clearing. I've taught the, 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 the drivers and the PSD drivers, everybody. I took them out to a range. And I taught them how to do room clearing. Because I said, look, when we get into a gunfight in and around urban area, you need to know how to clear a room and how to transition from your M4 or whatever you had at that time to your pistol. And again, I really enjoyed doing that kind of coaching and teaching. Actually found a, a K-98K Mauser that the Iraqis had from World War II. I found a box of ammunition that was dated 1938, German ammunition. I took these young Marines, Lance Corporals, PFCs, Corporals out to the, out to the edge of the range out there at the base of Camp Fallujah. And I said, doesn't matter how old the gun is, doesn't matter how old the ammunition is, it'll, it'll still kill you. And they were laughing at me. Oh yeah, Colonel, yeah, that, that old weapon is bolt action. We got machine guns. I said, come here. So I set up a 300 yard line with some big yellow milk jugs or water jugs, put water in it, took that Mauser, put it down on a sandbag, shot, sighted him with five rounds, and then I started to plink off those 10 water jugs one at a time. And the Marines' eyes were like, oh, wow. I said, a bullet kills. The most deadly thing on the battlefield is well, one, one well-aimed shot. It mm -hmm. doesn't matter who's shooting it. doesn't matter what gun it's coming from. So that was how I kind of rolled all along. Rolled into Afghanistan, did combat pistol, and then division commander uh, made sure that my division was supporting the division matches. We were fielding teams, which hadn't happened in the past, uh, and rolled that way. So everywhere I went, I promoted marksmanship to combat. That's what our history has been about. It always has been since the very beginning. When I was in Fallujah and I would go and we'd have the council meetings with the enemy, uh, the, the Fallujah leaders, the sheikhs and everything, two things really pissed them off about Marines. One was the tanks. <laughs> they were saying they couldn't do anything about the tanks. And the other were the hundreds of snipers that the Marine Corps had. All those snipers. It's not fair you have so many snipers. And I said, what are you talking about? We don't have that many snipers. We have Marines that just been issued ACOG, and they literally were looking at someone down the street 400 meters away, and the idiot would walk out in the middle of the street with an RPG on his shoulder, and Lance Corporal Jones would pick him off. I mean, because he was trained to do that at boot camp. You mm -hmm. know, They weren't snipers. They were just marksmen doing what they were trained to do. Um, but 
it built a reputation for us with the enemy. They were scared of Marines. It, it gave us leverage. It gave us combat leverage. Again, I learned a lesson there. Um, so that was kind of in a long-winded answer to talk about you know, how I promoted it was by showing the, the combining the history with the tradition to reputation and respect for our combat skills. Because if you don't have the history and tradition, it's hard to just jump straight to respect. Mm-hmm. You know, I, the enemy knows that, we're, that we shoot and that we take that seriously as Marines, more so than other branches we do. I'm talking about in a general sense at war and other services, other nations, you know, NATO nations in Afghanistan, we had a reputation as marksmen, you know, and the enemy knew that. So they were less likely to open fire on us from a distance because they knew that we would take them out. All right. And that, that's survivability. So I always tried to share that with my Marines at whatever level, literally from fire team leader to division commander. That's what I did. No, that's, that's pretty amazing. I like how you combined everything, history, tradition, and modern day. Uh, it's important, you know. Um, but I wanted to ask you, you, you have a lot of history with the team and the CAP program. Um, you were there in the early 90s. You know, you, you've, you've experienced a lot. Um, so as we continue moving forward with our CAP program, what more do you think can be done to continue promoting the CEP and see the Marines of the shooting team make a true impact on marksmanship throughout the entire Marine Corps? Yeah, that, that is a great question, Gunny, uh, because it's at the heart of what and why we have CEP and what the value and the skill is. We have the history. We have the tradition. We have the skill set in CEP or the, the, the opportunity for skills in CEP to be taught. And then that skill is taken back into the fleet. Okay, so the system is set up to work. Mm -hmm. The issue we've always had is commanders supporting, understanding what competition arms program is about, the value of it, and then how that can help them at war later. Right, so that's been my passion. And it is to this day as an advocate. Um, While I was at AWS coming off the pistol team, and I thought I was missing the war, we were doing CQB training of, of combat replacement captains and majors. At AWS, you have to write an article. It's part of the, the course curriculum. You write an article to potentially be published in the Gazette. So I wrote an article, and it was entitled Marine Corps Order 3591.2J, Does It Help or Hinder the Marine Corps? That's the article that I wrote. I never thought it would get published. I literally was calling out all the commanders in the Marine Corps saying, you're failing our Marine Corps because you're not supporting CF. I published it, or I wrote it, and... <laughs> I found it in April of 1993. It got published into the Gazette. Wow. All right. So at that point, and it's out there, and I gave it to uh, the, the teams uh, at Quantico and others. Uh, and I'll just read a quick excerpt from the article. This is from the article that I wrote. And literally, I wrote it in 1990. It was later published in a, in a uh, Gazette article that was about marksmanship. But I wrote, the outstanding marksmanship skills of the Corps coveted and respected worldwide. The competition arms program known as CAP is the foundation upon which these skills are annually built. CAP's design and structure is found in its order. And alarmingly, the future of the course marksmanship skills is jeopardized by ignorance. Okay, I wrote this and now you got all these other officers reading this. Ignorance, misunderstanding and non-compliance of many commanders with CAP and the order. Marines need to read and wholeheartedly support CAP if the Corps wants to continue its tradition of world-renowned marksmanship. 
And I go on to say why, because of the battlefield skills. So I wrote that article and you won't believe when it was published, I started getting called on the carpet. How dare you tell me what to do, Captain, Battalion Commander. Uh, you can't tell me, I, you, you don't know. If I lose that team, then they're not doing their job in the motor pool, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, all the excuses, right? Thank goodness the division commander at the time was a guy named Van Riper, Major General Van Riper, second ring oh, division. Yeah. He believed in marksmanship. He liked the article. So he got the article and he had a school circle of all the officers in the division, brought him in. He held up the article and said, I want every officer in the division to read this article. He said, I support it. Well, that saved my career. I'll just be honest. <laughs> because he supported it. I thought my career was over. You know, I really did. Uh, because of that, how upset some people got from that article. But I just, in a long-winded way of answering, you know, CAP sets a standard for the Marine Corps because the team members are those who participate, the intent, commander's intent, learn and accentuate your skills of shooting, marksmanship, take that back to the fleet. Wherever you go, air wing, ground side, air side, doesn't matter. You're going to take a better shooter back in and they're supposed to share that information. Um, so, but you can't share if you don't have the support and the people participating in it. So anyway, I, that was uh, where I got into that. And uh, I continue to this day and in, in, in the impact I have as a retired general officer to try to also talk to my fellow general officers, which I do, and explain to them what CAP is, the importance of it, and the value of it for going to war later. When you tell it to them that way, it's, it's easy to understand for a Marine. I mean, it really is. Mm -hmm. And they get it. You know, MARSOC. MARSOC, we, we, we need to get MARSOC understanding about CAP. We need to have the gunners more supportive of CAP. We need to have general officers more supportive. So that's my passion now is to build that, that understanding and that support of the competition arms and those Marines who are part of that, if that answers your question. So no, yeah. <laughs> it does. I, I can agree with everything you just said there. Uh, yeah. And, the, and, and some of those individuals have been our biggest roadblocks at the same time too. Yeah. You know, and I just want to say the order, here's what the order says. And again, most Marine officers, leaders were just not aware. Mm -hmm. They just knew it. Hey, we got to cough up bodies. It's like a fat, send them over there to do this. And then they come back. They didn't understand the value of what they got back with those shooters that learned those skills. You know, it says that the order or CAP is to enhance marksmanship proficiency and combat readiness by developing, maintaining a population base of Marines with high skills and marksmanship. Okay, bottom line, then to stimulate self-interest, self-improvement and confidence with your weapons. Okay, you need to have confidence when you're going into a room that you know that you know how to use your weapon. And then it also says to motivate Marines and provide incentives to excel in critical combat skills of small arms. So the order makes sense. It always worked. And before Vietnam, the Marine Corps used it very extensively and very well. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, there was a lot of officers who were very familiar and very involved. And it was, again, we did very well in World War II. We did very well in Korea. And we did well in Vietnam shooting against the enemy and the reputation we had. We atrophied some after that, but then we rolled back into it later and we got good combat skills again when we rolled in after 9-11. You know, we built the reputation back. So, yeah, that's, that's where I believe that we to promote it uh, and to have an impact People have to know what it is. They have to know the value of it and then put that into use. And I'm going to, I'm going to keep talking about it until they won't let me talk about it anymore. But the good news is 
a lot of the three stars and four stars in the Marine Corps right now are my friends, my battle brothers and sisters, and they and they want to know. They'll listen. I mean, they're not. They have the right mindset. It's just the education, the awareness. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you gave a really good answer, General, and you hit upon a few things there. Um, one, one's ignorance, right? And I think that's pervasive throughout the Marine Corps because I think one of the issues that myself and Matt run into a lot is Marines tend to gravitate towards the qual, right? A qualified yep. expert. What else do I need to know? There is so much more. And you you said it yourself when you quoted the SIA. Uh, there's a lot more to be learned. Um, but also the confidence and the swagger and uh, some of those other things they get from knowing that they're that good at shooting. Um, I honestly wish you'd been in the room when I was a uh, when I was talking to two mid-commanding officer trying to get my shooting team off the ground. Um, eventually got there, but it was a very arduous and uh, yeah. long process. It just, yeah. It's not good for your career. I mean, for an officer, for an officer, warrant officers is fine, I think is good, but for a for a commissioned officer to get out of your, your MOS and skill set to go do shooting, I, I lucked out because I had it the time set between Parison and AWS I was able to get on the teams and shoot. So it didn't hurt my career. Um, it could have with this article. Uh, one other thing I did, every lieutenant that goes through uh, Quantico, there was two big signs. We used to read them all the time, all these signs. And one of them was what uh, Carlos Hathcock, great Marine sniper said, the most, edgy, the most deadly thing on the battlefield is one well-aimed shot. Every Marine lieutenant knows that. It's putting what they know in their head into use. CAP gets to that well-aimed shot. The other saying was that it was up there was that George Patton said, untutored courage is useless in the face of educated bullets. Untutored courage is useless in the face of educated bullets. CAP educates bullets. Mm -hmm. All right. So again, they have it in their head. You just have to connect them to get from A to Z. So, yeah. Yeah. Very well said. Um, my next question for you. So you spent a lot of time mentoring and teaching shooters. And I would imagine among that population, a lot of them, you know, they became better shooters, but some of them became a lot more serious about shooting because you opened their eyes. What are some characteristics that you would pull out from some of your most um, high-performing shooters uh, over your years that they possessed? First and foremost is patience. Patience. You have to be patient. If you're a great golfer, you have patience. I don't golf, but I can tell you, you have to. Anybody who's really skilled, any athlete, you have to be patient. If you get frustrated, if you're impatient, you can't get to perfection. I just don't believe you can. Second is focus, focus on perfection. When I was on the Marine Corps, the Paris Island team getting ready to go to my first division matches, um, the team with some great leaders there, which I'll talk about later, or educators, mentors, you know, they, they gave us the Lanny Basham series. You know, see perfection is what he does, Olympic shooter, see perfection, be patient to get to that and hold until you have perfection, then you pull the trigger. So focus on perfection and then self-awareness. You have to have good self-awareness as a shooter, whether you're doing bullseye or you're doing three gun, you're doing fire maneuver, whatever it is, you have to be aware of where, who, and what you're doing and to adjust. I ride a Harley, I ride a motorcycle. I have to have patience, I have to focus on perfection and I have to be very self-aware to survive. And I think as shooters, the best shooters are able to do that. And you have to be willing to change. You have to be, that's part of the patience and self-awareness. You have to be willing to change in whatever that environment is. Um, I like to, you have to see it to be it. 
And, and a lot of that has to go into it. So those are the people I learned from. They taught me that. I saw that. And I use that in a lot of different parts of life in different ways. Yeah. Well said. So obviously at some point in time, we all get out, we all retire. Um, and, you know, we can all be a part of something, uh, you know, for the, us marksmen, it's the Marine Corps Distinguished Association and active duty and retired and, and guys who just get out can be a part of that. But uh, the question is, you know, the with the Marine Corps Distinguished Association, they have a proud history uh, and some very talented marksmen that are there. And every year they have an annual reunion. What do those gatherings symbolize to you? And what are some of the individuals, who are some of the individuals that you admire the most and give thanks and contributing to your success as a distinguished marksman? Uh, it's a great, again, again, a great, great question uh, because again, it connects the history and tradition to current value of who we are as Marine marksmen or any marksman. You connect that tradition. Um, those, those banquets that we have, those gatherings of the Marine Corps Distinguished Shooter Association, I go and I'm there to look at the older shooters from the 60s and the 70s, which I have the highest respect for, because I know what kind of weapons they were shooting. And they were shooting better scores than me, all right, which means they were better shooters because mm -hmm. we perfected our weapons, which makes it easier to get a good target. You know what I mean? So I have such respect for them. They're looking at me as a two-star general. And, I, and always, I'm, I'm the Lance Corporal who's excited when I'm at those reunions. I'll just be honest. Um, and I forget, and they come up with General, General. I said, no, I'm here to respect you, you know, senior warrior, marksman leader. So that's where I have some of the highest respect. And that's why I really enjoy going to those. I encourage everybody to go to those where you can. Because, um, again, we're connecting the living history of who in that tradition that was built with the current lot number, the current uh, value of who we are as shooters, which is going to carry to our future. And that's where we need to always look forward to is look where we need to go. Who do have, do I have the greatest admiration for? It's at Paris Island, 1981, when I'm going unk. And I realized I know how to shoot. But on grass week, when I went out there and they said, if you're right hand, raise your hand. I'm right handed. Okay. This is how you hold your weapon. Okay. You do what you're told when you're at boot camp. Get up there, I'm shooting in, I'm shooting, I'm shooting. I never told them that my dad told me to shoot left-handed, okay? But I was shooting right-handed because that's what the drill instructor said do, because I, I was shooting with right-handed position. And I was uncomfortable and everything, you know, it just wasn't comfortable. So got through, so on a Tuesday night, after I'd gone open and we're mountain climbing on the quarter deck, I'm making a puddle of water under me because you idiot, you're supposed to be smart, you have some college, and you're gonna make me embarrassed, senior drill instructors, you know, trying to motivate us. He called the line coach in, Sergeant Yancey. He was a hat, a coach out at weapons training at the time. He said, go talk to my unks. See what you can do. See if you can salvage any of them. So he went person by person. He said, all right, Hartzell, show me what you're doing. So I got him because I showed him. He said, tell me. He said, you're doing everything perfect. Why are you such an idiot? Why are you going up? I said, I don't know. I don't know. The recruit doesn't know. He said, well, let's do the eye test. So we did the eye test. Guess what? I'm left eye dominant. He said, tomorrow on Wednesday, you're going to shoot left-handed. I'm not kidding. I thought my life was over. I feel it right now. I thought I was going to you know, get re re recycled and I couldn't make it. I mean, I literally was scared to death. But what do you do when the sergeant tells you to do it? And you're a private. You do, it. you do what the sergeant said. And you do it as well as you can. So I went out Wednesday shooting left-handed for the first time. 
with an M16. And I shot sharpshooter because I had the skill. I knew what to do. I just wasn't in the comfortable position and I was trying to use the wrong eye. And that's why I became a serious high shooter by Friday in three days from going from uncle serious high shooter because of a guy named Yancey who was a coach that saw what needed to be done. He had the skills. He put it into my mind and I perfected it. He, I owe everything to that sergeant who taught me. I tried to find him later. Uh, Doug Striebel, a great uh, staffing CO, Paul Malsbury, a great chief warrant officer. They were our Paris Island team. They're the one who taught me Lanny Basham. They're the ones who taught me great skills, distinguished shooters. I learned a lot from them about how to shoot under stress, under pressure. Uh, you know, on the summer team, a guy named Bethards, Mitch Reed, Gunnar Matthews, a, a boot Tyro Lance Corporal named Brian Zins, who I shot with on the first on that summer team, who later became a grand champion master, Brian Zins, and is still a great shooter to this day. I watched him listen, learn, and perfect, and they had great uh, Lazoya. There's so many of those guys that I still keep in touch with now through the Distinguished Shooters Association that we shot together, but I was a captain, but I was watching and listening because they knew what they were doing. All right, so that's why I, those are the ones I admire because they had the skill, I observed it, and they were willing to teach and share it literally from boot camp on. And I still listen if someone shows me today about how to shoot. So, yeah. I, I kind of have a follow on. Um, yeah. You know, I know some of them, you know, still compete to this day. Will Bethard's yeah. a very good friend of mine. He still competes and like he's one of the nicest, yeah. most humble individuals I ever met in my life. Um, but there's still a lot of those guys like uh, they, they don't. Why do you think that is? Why some of them aren't as, as pleasant <laughs> as Bethard's? No, no, no. Why, why some of them still no longer compete? Oh, 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 that, okay, okay. You know, I, life, you know, different things, you know, a lot of people, they maybe had a passion for golfing, you know, but then life, you got grandkids now, you got other things, you know, it's time. Yeah. Competing is time. Yeah. You know, and you have to balance life time. You know, I have a Harley. I used to ride it a lot. I don't have the time to ride as much as I, I love riding it. So when I do, it's fun, you know, but here's something else that's really important, Matt. And I just wanted you to know that there were several years where I never shot a round, not a mm -hmm. single round. All right. Because I was so involved with things I was doing with business and other things, traveling the world, you know, and I, and, I, and because I became distinguished, I didn't have to shoot recall. Yeah. I opted out. You know, I, I shot my way out of having to recall. That was one of the biggest things. <laughs> you know, I didn't have to just shoot and pick up brass anymore. So I got to where I didn't shoot, but guess what? When I went back to the range, whenever, wherever that was, the skill was still there. I still could drill a center at 25 yards in a rapid fire, you know, even now, did, could I perfect that, that group in obviously with time? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the skills were all there. Um, so I think those competitive shooters, they think they haven't been shooting the thousand rounds a day for six days a week. So they don't think they're good enough. They don't think they can compete when you're mm -hmm. at that top level. You don't want to come back in, you know, if you're an expert master, you want to come back in as a marksman level. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. that may be, it may, it may be a mental thing with some of them, but what I'm telling them is go back out there. Guess what? You'll surprise yourself. Your skill is still there. My eyes aren't as good, mm -hmm. you know, but all I need to see is the front sight tip <laughs> and the yeah. reticle. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I absolutely agree with what you say. Like, you know, the last time I seriously trained was probably October and November of last year. Yeah. Um, and this June was 
really the first time I picked up my rifle again yep. or picked up all, all three of my guns, went out, competed at three man, three gun and, uh, and Duskin. yeah, the Duskin match. And I really surprised myself. Like at, at once, once that buzzer went off, bam. And it's like, everything clicked and granted it's all, it, it was only seven months, you know, yeah. difference. Yeah. Um, but still like you, that confidence isn't there because you go from shooting so much to right. not at all. And then, right. you know, this past weekend, whenever I competed um, at the tactical games match, like I didn't, I shot maybe 50 to a hundred rounds total between January and, and this past weekend, just, you know, get my zero, make sure I can shoot out to about 700 yards um, you know, make sure my pistol is hitting where it needs to hit. And, you know, me and Andy, uh, my partner for the match, we, we killed, we were, I would say we were the top three to 4% of the shooters, um, like highest caliber shooters yeah. there at yeah. the match. Yep. Yeah. You can give me any pistol. All right. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pistol guy. I'll be honest. I can shoot rifle. I can, but I like pistol because it's not as much gear to carry around. So you give me any pistol, let me get a zero with a couple of rounds. I'm, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I have confidence, you know, because again, I've built that confidence over time. Uh, it still surprises people. Hey, this old Marine general is going to come out, you know, and here's what I like to joke too. I'm a left-handed shooter, right? All right. So mm -hmm. I go out and they, and they know I'm right-handed. I say I'm right-handed, but I said, I'm going to give you guys a break. I'm going to shoot left-handed today. I'm going to shoot offhand. That's what I tell them. And of course, that's my good hand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I catch them off guard by doing that. Yeah. So, yeah. Very cool. So as a general, you're the first in over 60 years to become distinguished, which is no easy task. Um, I, I'm, I'm close to getting there myself, and it was quite, quite a long journey to get there. What does earning a distinguished shield mean to you? And would you encourage other leaders to set goals like that to do the same? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was, I had no idea when I was a captain that I went distinguished. I knew there weren't a lot of captains who were distinguished. I had no idea that it had been 1962 since the last general officer had was distinguished. Of course, when you're a captain, you don't think you're going to be a general. So it was, I was, I was a rifle company commander, MUSOC. I was a 300 PFT here. So I'm a leader. I'm a combat leader trying to motivate my Marines, all right? Keep them safe, keep them motivated. We want every regimental field meet. We were hard. I mean, I had a great first sergeant, had great staff and SEAL leaders, kept my lieutenants straight, uh, and we were good. We had the best rifle company, I believe, in the Marine Corps. I really do, as a boat company. Uh, and I was a stud PT guy, so I set the standard there. And then I was a shooter, and I went distinguished. I mean, that motivated my Marines. Hey, my captain's distinguished. And they'd love to tell their other peers, you know. So, and nobody even knew what that meant, you know. But hey, um, so it was huge for me to get that distinguished shield. Again, having watched what I did on the summer team, having watched those people and what that meant. And, you know, what's less than, much less than 1% of the Marine Corps is distinguished. Way much less than 100 of 1% of the Marine Corps makes general officer. So for me to be distinguished, and survived the career, which again, I told you, it's not good for an officer to stay in that kind of a field, but I was fortunate to do it in a very short time frame. Um, then it was, it, was, it was very moving and it was the Marine Corps Distinguished Shooter Association let me know and said, hey, General, you, when I made General, they, they said, you're the first one to make General Officer in 60 years. 
And I'm like, no, that can't be right. So I went back and did the research. In the Marine Corps' history, we've had a lot of generals. Think about it, way back, especially World War II, Korea, big. Marine Corps is huge. You know, we had six divisions at one point, lots of generals. Only 17 generals were distinguished in the Marine Corps' history. Only six of those 17 were pistol distinguished. So I'm one of six pistol distinguished Marines who made general officer. I use that. So I'm not talk, talking about myself, but I'm using that as leverage. So now when I talk to other general officers and they realize what it is, I used to love it when I wear my distinguished badge, you know, and I wanted to, guess what? As a company commander, Charlie's, we, we wore shooting badges. <laughs> badges. My, division, my battalion commander didn't like it, but I talked him into it. You know, the Marines loved it, especially those expert shooters. They wanted to show that, you know, I was wearing these gold badges. I had a team gold badge too. So, but a lot of people said, Hey, captain, when did you do um, uh, super squad? They had no idea what the badge was. They thought it was super squad. You know, mm -hmm. I said, well, and then I got to teach. This is Marine Corps distinguished shooters badge. Here's what you have to do to get it. Here's the history behind it. It was education. So yes, I, I just want to say, Frank, it was, it was humbling uh, it was honorary, but I use it now to help CAP and others because I'm one of few that was able to do it. Yeah. Very well said. No, that's, that's commendatory. Um, I want to shift the focus now um, because of your current position as the director of the Florida Veterans Affairs. Department of Veteran Affairs, and I kind of I, I want to kind of take the time uh, for any of those individuals who are out there who have gotten out, about to get out, about to retire. I, I want to take the time to, you know, educate them on what they should be doing and focusing on and the programs that are available. So since you are the executive director of the Florida Department of Veteran Affairs, what surprises you most about what you do on a daily basis and how fulfilling is it to continue to serve those who gave so much? Again, great question because it, it so well connects to all of us who serve and now we're veterans and you will be soon because you're going to retire, Denny. Um, uh, but it is the continuation of our service continues on as a veteran. Before I get to answer that question, there's one thing I forgot to say. One other way that I've influenced, and I know, Matt, you're very aware of this, is the High Tyro Trophy. Yes. Uh, you know, when I saw when we stopped giving weapons out as an incentive and as a motivation, um, rifles out to the high new shooters, Tyro being those new shooters had never been in SEAP at the metal level before, you know, it bothered me that we had to stop that in 2012 for legal reasons. I think mm -hmm. that's what it was. And I said, okay, I understand we can't get around that legal region yet. We're still going to work on that. But I wanted to recognize and bring back that, that interest, that motivation, that passion back into SEAP by creating a, a trophy to recognize that high new shooter, rifle and pistol combined, uh, each year. And I'm going to do that. And I called the Commandant of the Marine Corps. I called the Assistant Commandant. And I called MECDEC Three Star. And I talked to him about it because, again, we all served together. And they knew I was distinguished. And they said, Roger that hammer. Yeah, we can, we'll let you do that. That'll be a, a trophy, an annual trophy now. Um, so again, I want to promote that, get that word out. It got out to the Grand Collectors Association. Other people are hearing about this now. So it's creating energy and interest in CAP and our shooting and our history. So I just want to throw that one in that. Again, 
I'm continuing to work uh, to build a reputation. And I was happy and honored to be able to do that new trophy to recognize those new shooters. Like I was recognized in 1990. Uh, that motivated me. Uh, so yeah, so what transitioning veterans, what really surprises me most is the lack of awareness of what's available. Now, I was guilty. When I, 37 years, I got out, I didn't know what was available. I was a two-star general. Shame on me though, because the information was there. And so my passion now as a Florida Department of Veterans Affairs and helping other states is to make sure that when those military members are coming off active duty, whether it's their first enlistment or their 30 years, whatever that is, that they know where to get the, the, the information. It's kind of like informing people about CAP. We have to mm -hmm. inform military members and family about what's available. So the lack, that what is surprising me most is how lack of awareness, I thought it was just me, but I found out. So I'm working that hard now, working with all the service chiefs and, and, and letting them know when you have that tap transition class that we all have to do, and we're all just checking the block to get out as fast as we can. I get it. I remember, you know, make sure that there's a time spent and it's drilled in whatever state you're going to put in several states. Here's where you find the information for what's available because you serve. Here's what you earn, your benefits. You will be shocked how many benefits there are because America loves our veterans. States love our veterans. They want to help you with health care benefits. They want to help you with GI Bill benefits. They want to help you with tax relief benefits in your county and state. In Florida, the other thing that surprises me is we have more veterans moving to the state of Florida than any other state in the nation. All right. People like Florida. They, they, they look at the news and what we're doing. I mean, I have a great boss, Governor Ron DeSantis. I'll just be honest. He's a veteran, a combat veteran. He deployed to Ambar in the Navy. So he gets it. He understands deployment and sacrifice. Um, so we're doing things in Florida to, to make veterans welcome, do education, do benefits and other things. And they're, they're hearing it and the word's getting out. So we have a, thousands and thousands of veterans coming into Florida and their families. My job now is to connect them, make them aware and help them connect at no cost to them. We, all my services are free to connect them to their villains. When I'm doing that, talking about fulfilling I mean, how exciting it is for me when you have an E4 that's getting out and they come and they realize I don't have to pay the taxes that my next door neighbor does. Why? Because I serve my country. I can use my benefits to get this certification, my GI Bill type benefits post 9-11, and I don't have to pay for it. And I get BAH. You know, there's all these benefits that are out there. And guess what? If you served, if you went to boot camp, you're bent. All right. You have something that the Marine Corps or any service did to your body that you it's going to be with you for the rest of your life. Some of it's physical, some of it's mental, some of it's emotional. But we changed you on purpose, some by accident, some by uh, on purpose. But we changed your body and your mind and your heart sometimes by serving voluntarily for our nation. And our nation owes you because of that. So you earned disability benefits. Don't use the word disability for what we think about it. It is, here's the benefits you earn. So ask and you'll get those benefits. You'll be shocked what type of, and it's tax-free money that you'll get for the rest of your life. And you earned it and you might say, well, I'm not as disabled. I'm not, I don't have the problems. You know what? We'll do it for your family. Get the money for them. 
so you can help get the groceries in the house. That's why I shame you know veterans who don't want to sign up for their benefits. I, I have no problem doing it. Um, so kind of sorry, long winded answer. But you said I got a little bit of passion about this one. You know, it's lack of awareness. I have to work. We all have to work to get the awareness there, and then we need to get them to sign up because they earn it and they deserve it. You know, my my hardest population. Literally, it's not the older veterans, not the Korean World War II veterans. They get it. They understand because they're older and they're looking for help for their families. It's these younger veterans getting off active duty at whatever age that is in their 20s or 30s, you know, and they're, they're focused on getting a career job and everything else. Uh, but there's things that you earned that you should get and you deserve. And, and we want to connect you to those benefits. And that's very fulfilling. So when my numbers come in annually, from the amount of millions and millions of federal dollars that are going into Florida veterans' pockets, guess where they're spent in Florida's economy? My governor loves it. You know, when we're getting federal dollars spent in our economy, um, tax-free for that veteran, you know, that's a win. That's a victory. Every time I hear those monthly numbers of what we're doing to connect, you know, every new school that a veteran is going to, whatever that, that certification is they're getting, and they use their GI Bill, and they'd have to pay for it. The people that aren't veterans have to pay for it out of pocket. You earned a benefit, use it. So again, sorry to be so long-winded on that one, but it's where my passion's at. No, I I appreciate that because, you know, when you get out, like the people that are in charge of you, they they don't understand what it's like to get out because they've never gotten out themselves. Right. And, right. and so when I started my process of transitioning, you know, I, through other friends i found out about different programs out there um like we all know about the va and a lot of people really counseled me on hey this is how you maneuver the va start it like at this point all that stuff right. and so i listened to all their answers other things i found out about like you know because let's be real whenever you transition out of the military you're you're you become unemployed for a period of time and you yep. want to figure out how you know what is out there that can help me um you know find that employment and so i guess some of the advice i could give people out there is like so there's programs like nonprofit organizations like the american corporate partners where they assign you a mentor there's a another really good program called four block and like the base of their program is you building a network, a professional network, that way you can help maneuver the job market. They teach you how to write resumes. They, yep. they, yep. they teach you how to interview, you know, they teach you how to do your five minute, uh, your, your 30 second pitch, your elevator pitch. And, and um, you know, four block assigns you a coach and like, I'm done with the program, but I still talk on a weekly to bi-weekly basis or a bi-monthly basis with my coach and mentor and everything that he has done. And the biggest thing, you know, Pat's done for me is tell me, this is your time. You dedicated 20 years. You need to take time to be selfish for yourself and plan your next move. And like when he said that, that was the first time anybody's ever told me be selfish for yourself. And it, it was just like, wow, that that was the best thing anybody have, could have told me during my transition. So, right. and, and why is that important? Not only for you, but yes, take care of yourself. Because guess what? As a competitive shooter, you need to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You did. Yeah. yeah. For if you're a physical fitness CFT, PFT, you need to do that. Yeah. So why not do it when you're becoming a veteran? 
right? Mm-hmm. Because I need you to be the best veteran you can be because that's better for America. Yeah, absolutely. Right? You're better about yourself and you're connected and you're taking care of your heart, your head and your, your, your wallet, your pocket. You're going to be a better neighbor. You're going to be a better voter. You're going to be a better American. And America needs that. All right. And that's why I'm happy. All of y'all come to Florida, man. I'm telling you, <laughs> I'll help you. <laughs> we love having veterans. We're a good lot number. We're good for America. We are. And, and, and it doesn't matter how you vote. Republican, Democrat, independent, people love veterans. They want to support. Yeah. And those programs are there. So we have programs in Florida. Every state does. How do you write a resume? How do you do the elevator pitch? You know, where's the network? Um, what we need, what we need military members to do again, whether you've got 20 years plus or you're getting out after one enlistment, you need to look for it. The information's out there. So I encourage every military member who's going to transition at some point to look online, pick a state. I'm going to go to state A, B, C, or D, go online, look for state veterans affairs, put the state name, the information's there. And then there'll be those nonprofits and others that are also there. So Y'all are much better at doing this kind of search. You're younger and you know how to do it. So get the, the information there and we can help you be better citizens of our nation as a veteran because of those connections. Um, yeah, I just, I, again, I kind of have uh, a passion for it. I'll add one more thing. You know, yeah. throughout our entire career, we have mentors. We have a mentor, yeah. you know, leading us, you know, whether it's a team leader, squad leader, platoon commander, all the way on up. Um, yeah. I guess what I would tell people to do is find a mentor, find somebody within the sector that you want to work in, you know, go on LinkedIn, something like that. Find somebody at a company that you're interested in working in, develop a relationship with them. And, you know, at first they're just going to be kind of an acquaintance, a coach, somebody just helping you. Uh, But over time, what it's going to do is it's going to turn into a mentorship and that mentorship can eventually uh, or potentially turn into an opportunity for a career at that company. Yeah. And, and again, those, those mentors are there because some of them were trained and educated how to be mentors. Some learned it the hard way. Yeah. They walk that minefield and, and they know what not to step on. I'll just be honest. So, but they learned and you can still ask them and they'll give you that, that kind of uh, that guidance, that advice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of great points from you both. Um, and General, I think the work you're doing is fantastic. Uh, if there's anything I've known from seeing a lot of Marines transitioning out, whether they're on the first enlistment or it's a comm chief that's been in for 20 years, um, it's always an anxious and very like, uncertain process. And Matt, you and I have talked a lot during your preparations for your transition out. And I know it's been a lot of work and a lot of preparation on your side. So the work you're doing, General, is uh, fantastic. Um, aside from going out there and taking advantage of what you've earned and finding information, uh, finding a mentor. Uh, Is there any other general advice that you'd give to someone, whether they're getting out after their first enlistment or after a lifetime of service, um, any veterans that are uh, about to go out into the civilian world? Yes. I want to add, guess what? The three-star generals who are retiring, they're in the same position. Anxiety. What do I do? You know, what do you mean? What do you mean? I'm going to have to drive myself to work. You know, I don't have a driver. I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but there's a lot of, what do you mean? I have to fill out this form. You know, I mean, there's a lot of angst and because again, you lived in an environment, you know, in a, in a, it was built for war. It is. So I, I counsel T 
two and three stars and even some four stars who are transitioning out. They have the same anxieties and, and, and anticipation of change. Um, so I tell the young, the young enlisted, you know, that are getting out first termers, whatever that is, the same kind of advice, you know, go and find, do your search, do your information search. You do it for anything. If you're going to buy a car, you do it. You know, when, when you're looking to get married or date, you're doing it. You know, I mean, do the same thing for your life after you get off active duty. You do the search. Do the, And I know there's a lot of information. It's tough. It's hard. But the information is there. And just sift through it, sort through it. Ask somebody else who's gotten out recently. Stay in touch with those people. Again, they have some advice. That you, you know, some people you know that got out a year before you did, two years before you did. Stay in touch with them because they're, they've been through that minefield, I call it. So, uh, but I would say, especially in Florida or any other state, we have a website. All right. It's called FloridaVets.org. It's one word, FloridaVets.org. Right. Had to be simple because I'm a Marine. <laughs> so FloridaVets.org. You go to that website. It'll tell you where the information is. It'll answer the questions. It'll tell you where to connect to people that can help you connect to benefits. It has links to different things, resources uh, that are available. Because you're going to find that there's federal resources, national resources, there's state resources, and there's local resources. All right. So that's why I say also advice is shop all levels. Let's call it the tactical operational strategic level. All right. Look at all levels of what's out there. Don't just go to one website and say, okay, this is what it said. This is what I'm going to do. Shop around and look what's available. It's out there. Um, so yeah, that, that's really what I tell people to do uh, is, is to look for the information don't quit. Work hard because you're setting yourself for the rest of your life. Again, whether you're getting out after 40 years or you're getting out after four years, you're setting yourself up for the rest of that life, whatever it is. So put the time and effort into doing it. You're going to get frustrated. All right. But you got frustrated trying to buy a car. You know, you didn't quit. You know, so uh, don't compromise on yourself. That's what I tell them. Don't compromise on yourself. Work for it right? and be no. willing to ask for help. You know, and a lot of Marines don't want to do it, especially, I'll be honest, Gunny, staffing COs, you know, I don't want to ask for help. You know, guess what? Three stars won't ask for help either, but they do because they need to. Right. So, yeah. no, no, everything you said is absolutely true because, like, the, I guess you, I, I can say everything I, I've been doing over the past year or so, like, I've asked for help, you know, and it, it it takes a level of humility to ask for yep. that help. Um, but, you know, everything you said kind of, you know, it rang within me because, you know, I've been doing the research and, and I can attest to everything you said because, you know, you learn about everything that is currently out there, which is important. Like, if you don't do the research, nobody's going to do the research for you. Um, and you're only hurting yourself. Right. One other thing I do want to add, Frank, and, and, and both uh, you know, and Matt, is there are predatory people out there that want to try to take advantage of you. But mm -hmm. again, there are in used car lots. All right. I'm just saying this is life. So just be aware of that more trustable sources are the government sources, local, state and federal level sources of information. You know, they, they get monitored, they get audited. So they're, they're, they're pretty legit. But there's going to be people out there trying to take advantage. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, it's a war that I'm in, especially think about how many older veterans I have in Florida, people trying to get their Social Security information, that kind of thing. It's predatory, especially with COVID. People became very predatory. And we're, we're in a battlefield and, and we're winning that war right now. Um, and we're putting people in jail because of it. 
but there's going to be people in that information search. You just need to be aware that, you know, try to go to legitimate sources. If it sounds like the sea lawyer, you know, that uh, serves uh, 10,000 veterans, you know, whatever at Camp Lejeune, yeah, there's a reason why <laughs> they're a sea lawyer. So <laughs> just be aware of that. All right. That's one other piece of advice I throw out. Yeah. So this is for Florida specifically. What yep. programs are there are out there in Florida for veterans? Right. That's where I say go to FloridaVets.org. The list is there. It's actually fairly simple. You can you shop the menu of what you're looking for health, you're looking for education, you're looking for tax relief, legislation. Their benefits are so many benefits that are out there. Programs, there's programs. Another great program is state that's nationwide, but we're really ex- using it well. Uh, in Florida is a skill bridge program. Yeah. So skill bridge program is where you're on active duty in your last six months, you're getting ready to, you're, you're, you're in TAD, you're in TAP class, you know, you're, you're trying to use your, um, uh, your leave you have left over, burn your leave. You can actually get paid by the government and go start a job with a civilian contractor, civilian business, and it's paid by DOD. So the civilian jobs love it. All right. Because it's, it's, like paid, it's free labor it's paid internship. It's a paid internship and, and it's good for you to train. It's a good transition because you're like one foot both sides of the house. Uh, but that's a great program and in Florida. We actually put money and time and people behind SkillBridge to help veterans coming into Florida. Those getting off active duty in Florida. The program is rocking it. It really is one. It's helping DOD, the veterans, because you know, you're a short timer. You're dropping your pack. So DOD really can't get much out of you like mm-hmm. it can full time. And yet you're serving the community and you're transitioning. It's a great program. So SkillBridge is something else to look up if you're on active duty. And in Florida, we're doing a lot of it. Uh, So, yeah, FloridaVets.org, that's where the benefits are listed. And there's a lot of programs there, especially tax relief and opportunities for for not having to pay what everybody else would pay for. You know, don't don't waste your money. You find out what's available out there for you. So, yeah. So I'll, I'll add something to the whole skill bridge thing. Um, and I didn't take advantage of it, um, but there's there's a nonprofit organization that I think is hands down probably the best. And I know multiple individuals took advantage of it. It was hiring our heroes and like yep. they have multiple different paths that you could take within within their programs that they have set up. But they they will train you. They will educate you and they will help develop your resume and put those resumes out there with specific companies, Capital One, uh, Amazon, you know, those are just two of them, but then they will set the internship up for you and then you can go work for them and potentially lead you to a future career. Right. And like I said, on that part of this.org, we have a, 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 I have a, a, a supporting unit. Let's call it that called veterans, Florida. That's specifically what you just described. That's what they do. Okay. They help get you. They build your resume. They build your, your background. They actually put you into some, they put you in skill bridge programs. They match. So basically put in your MOS because they know what MOS you got and they will align you with opportunities where uh, employers are saying, this is what I want. We're the conduit to put them in to connect the two. Mm-hmm. There's, there's civilian nonprofits. Like you've mentioned, there's one called Operation New Uniform. Okay. Yeah. Operation New Uniform. They do what you just described as well. So there's there's both state entities and there's 
civilian entities that are willing to do it. You just have to shop around and look for it. Yeah. And call them and talk to them. Yeah. Awesome. Um, before we go into this last question, uh, second to last question, we wrap up. Just want to thank you again for coming on and talking to us. A lot of great information here. And I'm sure our listeners are really going to enjoy this. Um, want to bring the lens back to your career. So out of everything that you did, what, what, what portion of your career would you say gave you the most fulfillment? Um, and then if it is different, then which billet or duty station did you experience the most growth in? Yeah, that's a great question. A lot of people ask me that, and I and I, and I, I, I say it as a joke, but it's true. So I always get a good laugh out of it. The best rank I ever had was Lance Corporal. <laughs> I see, look, I got a gunny laugh, all right? I'll be honest. I was so proud to put those cross rifles because I wasn't a boot anymore. And I could, I could hide from the company gunny better than anybody, but I was the first person to volunteer whenever they needed a volunteer, all right? I was the most motivated Lance Corporal. I was in a forced reconnaissance as a Lance Corporal. I'm serious. And so that was, you know, that position gave me so much pride. It built my reputation. Um, you know, I was a, uh, my first... So I was a PFC. I, got, I was on. I was um, meritorious PFC in boot camp. Why? Because I was a serious high shooter. So I got a strike. And I got a raise. You know, just because I shot well. I was awesome. Um, but my first uh, Marine Corps birthday ball, November of 1981. I graduated September 11th, 1981. Wasn't a thing back then. Uh, and I went and I was. They and I didn't have enough money to pay for the ball. So they said, Hey, we need someone to, to, to the guard. You know, the armory guard for the birthday ball. I raised my hand. I volunteered. You know. And so I was there and I'm thinking, oh man, I never knew what a birthday ball was. My company gunny came back from the birthday ball in his dress blues with a piece of birthday cake to me because I was on duty. And that set in my mind and my heart for so many years about what they did and how important it was for that gunny to recognize that young, that young Marine. So when I made Lance Corporal, I started giving back to the newbies, you know, and, and motivated. Fast forward to, as I said, kind of earlier, I alluded to it being a, a rifle company commander as a captain, having been a Mustang, now being a company commander with all the attachments, MUSOC, you know, we were going to, we were ready for war in a lot of places. We actually uh, did Operation Provide Promise. We were in Bosnia. Um, I was so motivated. I had such a, we, we outperformed everybody. I was at the pinnacle of my shooting career, went distinguished, had the best first sergeant company gunny in the Marine Corps. Um, I was so motivated. I tell you, my, my Marines to this day, that unit was 1991 to 1993, Bravo 1-6, first time six Marines. We have almost 80 of us to this day that stay in touch on a Facebook page. It's a private Facebook page. It's called Hammers Hardcore Hooligans. <laughs> triple H. That's awesome. Right? For you, for you WWE guys, Triple H. We were Triple H, Hammers Hardcore Hooligans. We got in the most trouble and we were the most respected people of any new sock float ever, you know? And I tell you, I was so motivated about that. And we said, these guys are all 50 plus now, you know, but because of our time together, the camaraderie, it was dangerous. The most dangerous thing other than war was being a boat company back in mm -hmm. those times, very dangerous. Um, and so we, we, we built that rapport, that camaraderie together. I taught them to shoot better com combat shooting, kind of a three gunish kind of skills, um, we were motivated. So, yeah, being a rifle company commander and then jump forward to being a division commander, 18,000 Marines. At any given time, I have Marines on five continents. My 
Division Sergeant Major was a guy named Brad Castle, Sergeant Major Brad Castle, Hell House Brad Castle, Navy Cross winner, and we were a battle team. He and I went around, and so we would go visit units all over the world, wherever our Marines were, and we'd go up there, and we, we'd go out on patrol at night. I'd go out on recon, and we'd go on patrol, me and the Sergeant Major, and we'd be there, and we'd sneak up behind, and we'd go, and we'd listen, and I'd lay down beside, and I'd say, hey, and they'd say, hey, who are you, sir? I said, I'm the division commander. And like, oh, my goodness, it's a general. I said, yeah, but the guy right over there is Hell House Castle. And they're like, oh, my goodness. He had more respect than I did. <laughs> and rightfully so. Rightfully so. So look him up if you don't know about him. But, yeah, so that Lance Corporal, company commander, two-star, the, the, the pinnacles of my career really were spread across time and everything in between. But I really did uh, enjoy it. I did. And I continue to serve now. That's my passion now is continue to serve our, those of us who serve together. So, yeah. Well, I got to thank you for everything. Uh, before we go though, is there anything else you would like to say to the listeners before the show ends? The only other thing I want to say um, is look out for each other, for you, for you Marines or on active duty or any military service members, whatever service veterans who are out there transitioning. I alluded to it before in the military, we changed our minds, our hearts, and our bodies, okay? We changed whoever we came in. When we raised our right hand, we were a different person when we got out after whatever that time was. Look out for each other. Watch out for each other, okay? You'll know when Frank's not right. You'll know when Frank's acting different. You'll know when the gunny's not being the gunny, all right? Take care of each other, all right? We don't want to get to that 22-a-day number. Get to the left of that incident communicate, stay a team together. And that's why the passion I have is Veterans Affairs is I connect military members back to being in that team and supporting, supporting and serving. And I'm keeping people alive by doing it. We are keeping people alive by doing it. So watch out for each other, stay connected and save a brother or sister from some hole they might be putting themselves into, right? That's our, that's our mission, our job now, whether we're in uniform or not, we need to do that. So that's, that's what I want to leave us with. Well, thank you. That, it's very appreciated. I have to say thank you for coming on this show. I've had a lot of enjoyment. I've really appreciated the friendship we've built over the past couple of years. And, you know, I think there's going to be just so much information, positive information that people get out of this. I couldn't thank you more than enough. So thank you. Uh, thank you for asking me to share. Uh, uh, because at my age now, you know, 60, like I said, I still get out in PT pretty hard <laughs> and I love it. And, I, and I'm going to a range tomorrow. Actually, I'm taking my 30 year old son, my youngest son, I'm taking to a range tomorrow to shoot long gun, short gun. And, uh, and there's a house, we can do a house clearing. It's a nice range over near Orlando. Um, I'm excited about taking him uh, and teaching him what I learned, what my father taught me, what my grandfather taught me. You know what? I have two grandsons, a nine and a seven year old. When they were born, I signed them up on an 18-year delayed entry program. I got the contract, all right? <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna, one of them is going to be a Marine, I guarantee you, one day. Uh, and, I, and I'm teaching them about shooting. I'm teaching my grandsons about marksmanship, like my grandfather taught me. So we carry this forward. And those of us who are SEAT Marines background or teams Marines, shame on us if we're not talking loudly and sharing what we learned with others. We have to, we really need to, because it'll make us all a better country because of it. All right. Thank y'all so much for inviting me. Really. Thank you it. to the listeners. I hope you really enjoyed listening to this and I can't wait for you here 
the next one. Thank you.